Uh, let's turn to the scriptures, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9. Let's all rise for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from the heavens flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words of Scripture and for what happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Lord, known as Saul, he becomes Paul. And the name trans the transition in the name isn't just accidental, but there's a purpose to it. Thank you that, that uh, Saul became Paul and all the influence he had over us uh, through the, his letters and through his teachings. Thank you, Father. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations that are upon my heart be acceptable in your sight. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. You know, change is difficult. I know there's changes that are that are difficult for you and I. We may be going through a season of change right now, as our church is. Uh, for me, there are certain things that are difficult to change. Like one of the things that I have difficulty change is once I find something I really like at, on a restaurant menu, I tend to order that every time I go to that, that restaurant. And Rain will say, don't you want to try something different? And I go, mm, not really. <laughs> and I just don't like to change, all right? And you, like we go to this one restaurant across the street from where we live. And we like it, and we go there, and she orders the same thing every time she goes, and I order one of two things every time I go. And I have no inclination or, or compulsion to change. You know, I change is hard for me, and the older I get, the more difficult change is. Right. You know, in a, there was a medical study done back in 2006. Now, in the year 2006, there were approximately 600,000 bypass surgeries for the heart. 600,000, over a half a million. These people were told after their bypass surgery that they must change their lifestyle. Makes sense, right? What got you here can't continue after you had the bypass because heart bypass is a temporary fix. And if you don't adjust your lifestyle, it's gonna happen again. Well, so they were told they must change their diet. We know what that's like. If they were smoking, they need to quit smoking. If they were drinking, they need to quit drinking and they must begin to exercise and reduce the stress in their lives. Sounds simple, right? Basic changes in lifestyle in order to prevent them from having a serious heart problem reoccurring. In essence, these doctors were saying to their patients, change or die or run the risk of death. Now you would think after a near-death experience that, that the situation would grab each patient and they would make these changes. You think the argument is so compelling 
that they would want to change it and remain faithful to any changes that they make. But that's not the case. They studied thereafter a lot of these patients and they found that 90%, nine out of 10, uh, do not change their lifestyle. Uh, they remain under the same status quo as, as they did prior to the surgery. Now, it indicated that for maybe about two years, they made some changes. But after a two-year period, they went right back to their normal behavior because change was so difficult. Even if change meant a better chance at living, a better shot at life. And they acted as though they didn't really care whether or not they died. That's how hard those changes are. What kind of change are you going through in your life right now? What kind of changes have you experienced over the past several years, or maybe in the, over the past several weeks? Now, the Christian faith is all about change. When we repent, we're saying we're changing from the way we're going, and we're going to go into an opposite direction. That's what repentance means. Salvation means changing from a state of unforgiveness to a state of forgiveness. It's a change that occurs. Sanctification is the process of being made holy from a state of unholiness. Becoming a new creature in Christ after a confession of faith is the changing of the old into the new. Change is part and parcel to Christian living. We're supposed to constantly be changing, becoming more like Jesus. But change comes hard. Change in our lives become extremely difficult. Now what we're gonna be looking at this morning is the life of the Apostle Paul. And in chapter 9 and following, we get to see the change that takes place in his life, sort of a metamorphosis of a person's life, where he changes from Saul to, a, to whom we know now as Paul. All right. So let's take a look at these steps. We're going to take six steps of change. And these are the things that God may be doing in your life relative to an area of change that he desires, or what he's doing corporately within our, the context of our church family as we make a transition and change. First step, step one. God has us consider a concern. God has us consider a concern. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Saul had a concern. His concern was that Christianity is doing damage to Judaism. And so he wanted to do something about it. And he became a persecutor of the church. And that's the reason why he was on the road to Damascus to take care of Christians that were in Damascus. The Christians at that point were known as Christians, but people of the way. And that's why it's referred to in chapter 9 as the people of the way. And so that's what he was journeying to do. Right? He had a concern what to do about Christianity. Now, it usually takes a concern to get us in a position for change to occur. We have a concern in our lives. And changes normally transpire within the course of normal, everyday activities and concerns that we have. And, but normally we don't want to disturb or disrupt the status quo, especially relative to our concern. Now Moses had a concern. His concern was for his people, the Hebrews. You may have a concern. You may have a concern about the condition of your marriage right now. Things aren't going as well as you think they should in the course of your marriage. You may have concerns about the life of your children if you're parents. Something's going on in, with your children that you're not quite settled with, and so you have a legitimate concern. You may have a concern about the state of your career. You may have a concern about the state or position of your education, or both. You have a concern. 
Now, two things I'm going to be talking about throughout the course of this message is aging parents and what's going on here at Evergreen SGB. You are a child, an adult child, and your parent is aging or your parents are aging. And you have a concern for your aging parents, so you're open to the changes necessary to assist your parents. Remember the 40-70 rule. When you're about age 40 and your parents are about age 70, you should start to have discussions about end of life. What do your parents desire? And I think the people that are having difficulty with this discussion are actually the parents, not the children. If you're a, a teenager, you may be seeing this right now with grandma and grandpa and your parents. What's going on between them? Changes are beginning to happen and you're perceptible enough to understand it's changing. Mom and dad's relationship with grandma and grandpa is changing. And that could cause a disruption and discomfort in the family if not addressed well. And if people aren't open to the fact that God allows for changes to take place in areas of concern. You are an aging parent. Be aware that the changes are taking place in your life now, which may necessitate you receiving help from someone somewhere. Are you open to counsel regarding the changes that may be necessary in terms of your life and long-term care? With regards to Evergreen SGV, there's been a concern over the past few years about my retirement. And we knew that a change was going to have to take place. And we knew that God was going to have to call the next senior pastor of Evergreen at some point in time. You may be a person right now who's concerned about the impending change, even though the transition has been taking place for almost 16 months. A concern. What's the concern in your life right now? Is it family? Is it career? Is it children? What is it? Is it health? But well, we have areas of concern in our lives as well we should. But oftentimes that's the area that God then addresses in terms of changes that need to occur in our lives. Here's the second step. God has us confront a crisis and it usually is in the area of our concern. God has us confront a crisis. Look at verses three to nine, Acts chapter nine. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, and let's move, move further in the scripture, and Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, he brought him to Damascus. And he, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Paul's concern collided with a crisis. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And Paul, this independent, free-willing guy who, was, who just knew how to take care of himself and knew how to take care of people around him, all of a sudden became dependent. He lost his sight. He neither ate or drank, he said, in the scriptures. He had a crisis. Also, the crisis involved the fact that he was persecuting Christians about the name of Jesus, and Jesus met him on the road. So not only was this a physical crisis, it was also a spiritual crisis. He was persecuting these people, and lo and behold, Jesus is real. So this was an incredible crisis for the Apostle Paul. What's your crisis? Something going on in your life now which has presented itself as a crisis, as a trial, as a tribulation, as a moment of pain and suffering in your life? Well, you may be right in the midst of God doing a change for your life and in your life. Good Christian people have crises. It happens. 
We're not immune to trials and tribulations. In James, Paul doesn't say, if you have trials. He says, when you have trials. Count it all joy, my brethren. Crises are not always the net result of our personal sin, although sometimes they are. Sometimes there's circumstances that arise where other people's sin impact us. When people age, that's not sinful. Right? But people age and changes need to take place in regards with the caring of aging parents. And by the way, those of you who are 50, 40, 50, 60, it's right around the corner. So you can listen to it with both ears as a child and also as a future aging parent. By the way, this was the message I wanted to really preach, but I didn't, just don't have enough Sundays on caring for the aged because it's happening in our society. The boomers are getting, I'm at the front end of the boomers. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be 72 this year. The boomer year started one year before me, which means now we have all these boomers that are like hitting their 60s and 70s all at once. I'm in good company, man. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. We've been at Atherton now for over 10 years, and when we got there, we were 60. And we felt, hey, you know, we felt pretty young. We were young there. Average age there was over 85. So we were like, there's like a 25-year gap between us and the middle, the middle of the road aged people at Atherton. We're catching up to them. And just slowly that disparity is diminishing. You know, we actually, we're looking forward to the next, the first group of people that come in that are younger than us. That hasn't happened yet. All right? But we're aging. And we begin to see the changes that take, are taking place in our lives. They happen. All right? And we need, to be, we need to be in a good position to allow it to happen and to, and to embrace the things that are necessary for us to allow it to happen gracefully. And older people sometimes don't do that, and younger people don't even know how to help the older people to do it. Moses, he's confronted with a catastrophe. He kills an Egyptian because he has a concern about the Hebrews, his people. A crisis confronts Moses. In marriage, you and your spouse aren't getting along as well as usual. You're starting to argue more about the same stuff, but you're arguing more and more, and it's more heated. Something's not right. Something's not going as well as it should be. An issue has arisen in your marriage. It's a crisis. Spiritual, something happens in one of your children. Maybe they've been diagnosed with something. Maybe they've been diagnosed with a learning disability. Maybe they've been diagnosed with a syndrome. Maybe all of a sudden they quit studying. What's going on with your child? They're not doing as well in school as they did when they were in elementary school. And so a concern, for, a legitimate concern for your child meets a crisis. Maybe there's a change just around the corner. You're facing cutbacks at work. You're either going to be terminated or, and this happens frequently, your workload gets increased because there's diminished personnel and now the people who remain have to take up all the slack. And now you're putting in way more hours than you anticipated or had to before and you're getting paid the same amount. You were a child of an aging parent. Your dad couldn't find his way home after driving to the grocery store. Something is done a hundred million times. That's an exaggeration. Your mom almost burned the house down because she doesn't handle the stove the way she used to. Your parents forgot to pay their property tax. My mom couldn't get out of the bathtub one night, so she stayed in it all night. 
you are the aging parent. You, you find you're getting abnormally forgetful. You can't remember how to get to places. You start making financial mistakes with your bookkeeping. Those are very frightening things. Very frightening. When you realize, I'm not sure I can take care of myself anymore. And it becomes a crisis. You lose your balance more frequently when you walk. Here at Evergreen SGV, for some, the transition has been a bit of a crisis, a mini crisis in their lives. For those who've been a part of Evergreen for three or four decades, it's a vast change that's taking place. It's almost like losing a father. In my case, maybe a grandfather. And as I grow older, and so you have a, a mini crisis because well, things aren't going to be the way they used to be and they shouldn't be the way they used to be. God is going to bless and expand our ministry here under new leadership. Well, here's the third step. God has us cultivate comprehension. God has us cultivate comprehension. He wants us to understand things better, especially when a crisis arises. Look at verses 17 to 18. And I and Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hand on him, see, Ananias is called from the outside to minister to the apostle Paul, who was known at the time as Brother Saul. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he arose and was baptized. Isn't that remarkable? Just in a matter of days. See, Paul, when he was in this state of crisis, was open to listening. He was open to try to find new understanding in this thing called Christianity that he had been persecuting up to this point in time. Remarkable things happen, happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. God cultivated comprehension or understanding in his life to the point that not only did he regain his sight, which is a blessing in terms of the crisis, but he begins to understand, he gets filled with the Spirit and gets baptized. Because all of a sudden, he understands. Crisis should always lead to comprehension if you allow it to. Our goal should be when we are confronted with a trial, a problem, a challenge, Lord, what do you want me to learn through this? Instead of just blaming the people around us. Disciples, by definition, are what? They're learners. We're supposed to constantly be learning about our faith in Christ and what it means to us and how it, how it addresses everything in our lives. Moses hears from the Lord. He's in, he's in sort of in, he's in exile, and God meets him through a burning bush. And all of a sudden, he has understanding. This is what God wants me to do. I'm in the wilderness as a shepherd because he wants me to eventually shepherd a people. And it takes him 40 years to learn that. But he gets it through the burning bush. In marriage, you begin to understand why your spouse is upset with you on a continual basis. And you realize, man, it may not just be them or her or him. It might be me. That's a great understanding to have, your role and what's going on between you and your spouse. As parents, you sense that your child, but you've just been maybe too demanding or not demanding enough with your child. And God begins to give you an understanding of how you're supposed to minister and deal with your children. Maybe they're playing video games too much. Kids, you hear what I'm just saying? 
Your parents may come to you now after the sermon and say, you know, you're on the video games way too much. We're going to have to cut back. If you have an issue with that, call me up. All right, kids, you can call me up anytime and I'll tell you why what your parents saying is wise. At work, you realize you can't continue work the way you've been working. And that you've been doing so because you have an understanding now that you're a people pleaser. And you want to please your boss, your supervisors, even though it means working far more than you're actually capable of working. You are a child and you have aging parents. You finally understand that you need to intervene for your parents in order for them to be safe and to be sound. And that's really your desire. You start attending tender, loving caregivers here at the church to cultivate your understanding for the changes that need to be made. After my mom spent the night in the bathtub, I understood that she couldn't live by herself without assistance. I just, I understood that. I didn't like it because I didn't want to, to govern my mom's life. But I understood it can't go on this way and there need to be some sort of intervention. If you are the aging parent, your situation has become exhausting and maybe a little bit confusing. And you're beginning to understand that, yeah, I do need help. Most people want to just live their days in their house and die there. And sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. And it takes a person of understanding to know that it may not happen this way, so we need to make plans. Because the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, thus says the Bible. So now you're open to getting help. That's a great place to be. Here at Evergreen, the countdown continues. It's five weeks, one day, and less than 15 hours. If I have my phone on, my, on me, I can go to the app and tell you precisely to the second. Now, the reason why I have that, I don't really see that app very often, but I do hit it once in a while so that I understand where I'm at and how much longer I have here as the senior pastor of Evergreen SGB. Because it's important for me to understand that, and I need to address the issues of retirement. Many of us are comprehended more clearly as the day draws near. Those who are planning my uh, uh, retirement luncheon, God bless them. They're doing such a wonderful, they're doing, putting a lot of work. God bless them, man. I'm very thankful for each and every one of them. But the more they work on it, the more they come to the comprehension. This is going to end very shortly. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But sometimes it's hard. Here's the fourth step. God has us commit to a choice. Somewhere down the road, when you have a concern, a crisis meets there, you begin to understand it, you're going to have to make a choice. It comes down to a choice. In Acts chapter 9, verse 20, it says, And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Paul gets taken through that crisis. He comes to an understanding. He receives Jesus Christ. He gets baptized, and then he makes, he makes a choice. He's going to serve his Lord and his Savior. And he begins to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God, the very thing he was persecuting people about. Immense change. His conversion meant become a proclaimer of the gospel. And he made that choice relatively immediately after he came to faith. Repentance always leads to change. Always. If there's no change after repentance, there really hasn't been true repentance. Change always involves a choice. You have a choice. Moses has a choice. He gets confronted by the burning bush. God speaks to him. And he had a choice. Do I leave here, the land of Midian, a land where I'm comfortable now being a shepherd for 40 years, having married uh, 
uh, Jethro's daughter, I'm okay here. But then God has to make a choice. Go to Egypt and deliver my people, says God to, to Moses. And he does it. In marriage, you're having difficulties. You're in a period of crisis. So you decide to go to counseling to try to work on your marital situation. Try to create a change. You make a choice. Going to work on our marriage. As parents, you choose to get more involved helping your child study or monitor your child's time on, on electronic devices. You make a choice to do something about it. At work, you decide to ask for assistance or you... Or, um, or you start looking for another job opportunity. These are choices that people have, and they're difficult, difficult choices. Sometimes it's even hard just to decide that you need to make a choice. And that's one choice that I, that I always counsel against. In marriage, the goal of marriage is not for you to be happy. Okay? It's not for you to be happy, because if the goal of marriage is to be happy, you're going to be in for a rude awakening and vast disappointment. And I'm all for marriage. The goal of your marriage and everything else in life, including work, is not your happiness, it's your holiness. God wants to move you closer to be more like Jesus, which is a change. So never make the pursuit of happiness your goal. Like if you're going to uh, downsize your house, Joy is not the goal. Becoming more godly should always be our goal. And the more we, we become godly, the more we become like Jesus, then the joy of Jesus comes into our life. Not just mundane, everyday happiness, but the joy of Christ. And that joy withstands everything. So in marriage, it's not about you being happy. Because I've heard people say, well, I'm really not very happy in my marriage, so God doesn't want me to be unhappy, so maybe I should jettison my marriage. That is such a lie of Satan. It's an ungodly belief. God is not concerned about your happiness in your marriage. He's concerned about your holiness, because the more you become holy, joy will enter into your marriage. It's a huge difference, and our Christians buy into the worldly lie. Happiness is the most important thing to pursue. And if you're not happy, find that happiness. Now, if you're not happy, pursue Jesus even harder. So you get his joy in the midst of whatever situation you find yourself. <coughs> I have no idea where I was in my sermon. Now, let's just pick it up here. You are a child of aging parents, and you make a choice to intervene. You say, okay, we're going to do something with mom and with dad to help them. And you have a variety of choices ahead of you. You live with them, they live with you, they go into a retirement committee. There's choices to be made and to be had. And regardless of the variety of choices, you need to do something. You need to commit to something. After my mom's bathtub experience, we committed to having her move into, while well, we first started to have help come in, then eventually move into residential communities. You are the aging parent. You realize you need help. You decide to have a helper be, live with you, and that's a huge change for somebody who's elderly. Or you decide to move into one, with one, of your, one of your children's homes. That's a huge change for somebody who's elderly. Or you decide to move into a retirement community. That's even a bigger change. Here at Evergreen SGV, we decided to call Pastor Rocky. That is God's will for our church. We decided to go through an 18-month transition period. 
we decided to move to eldership. We've decided to follow the leadership as provided by Pastor Rocky. That's a choice to be made, a choice that we need to commit to as we move forward as a church family. Then the fifth step, God has us change our conduct. God has us change our conduct. Look at verses 21 and 22. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that his, this Jesus is the Christ. Paul changed. How do we know he changed? His conduct changed. His behavior changed. What he did changed. And if there's legitimate change in your life, it means your conduct changes. Paul's change and conversion to Christ was legitimate. How do we know that? Because he changed his conduct. He began proclaiming the very name he was persecuting. Change took place. The validation of a change is the testimony of a life that is been, has been redeemed. Moses became a bold advocate for the people of Israel. He confronted, he confronted Pharaoh. In marriage, you decide to change, to change the way you interact with your spouse, seeking understanding first and not being understood. That's a change in conduct. With your child, you decide to spend an hour a day helping them with their studies. Or you decide to actually monitor their electronic devices. That's a change in conduct. At work, you have a series of meetings with your supervisor to discuss possible solutions to the work overload in your workplace. Right? That's conduct, not just thoughts, not just complaints. You're a child of an aging parent or parents. You are slowly becoming the parent, and your parent is slowly becoming the child. And that is a difficult, difficult transition and change. You are now your parent's caregiver to some degree or another. That's a change in conduct between you and your parent. For my mom, we switched to more regular visitations at the retirement community. And I paid all the bills and had to make or help her make every major decision. And that was really hard because I'm used to being the child, not the parent, when it comes to my mother. You are the aging parent. You decide you can't drive any longer. You're depending more on your children for advice and direction. You're cooperating with the caregiver, or you're trying to get accustomed to a retirement community. Those are all very difficult changes because they involve conduct, not just thoughts. At Evergreen, over the next few years, conduct's gonna be changed here at Evergreen. We're gonna do things differently, which means we're gonna do things differently. And we have to buy in to the change in conduct that happens, change in behavior. And we, if it launches us from the Lord and it's validated in scripture, we should embrace it. Final step, six, step six. God has us commit to continue. God has us commit to continue. Turn to Acts 13, leaving chapter nine. Acts 13, one and two and verse nine. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So this is the first missionary endeavor of a church, a church called Barnabas and Saul, and they're gonna send them out to do the first missionary tour. Now look at verse nine. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. 
This is where the name transition takes place in verse nine. Saul, who was also known as Paul, and then from that point forward, he is always referred to as Paul in the scriptures. Because a change has taken place and it's going to continue and it's represented by his change in name in part. And look at the description of Paul. Two things, filled with the Holy Spirit and his gaze was fixed on Jesus. How do we know that? Because of his conduct and the fact that he continued in that conduct. Best changes in life are life-changing. Moses perseveres through the trials and tribulations as confronting Pharaoh. Then he leads him in the wilderness into the, land of, into the land of promise. In marriage, you recommit to your marriage vows. Remember your marriage vows, those of you who are married? For better or worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or poor. Those are serious words you said before the Lord. And so maybe seasonally we need to recommit to those vows we said when we were joined together as husband and wife. With your child, you, have your, you and your spouse are going to remain faithful to the vision and the mission you have in raising your child, no matter what it takes. And sometimes it's a lot of effort, and it requires a vast change in conduct, conduct in the family system. At work, you commit to seeing it through until the overload, work overload gets more manageable or you seek other employment. If you're a child of an aging parent, some of you are now in the most challenging part of the journey because you have made some decisions, you've had, seen some changes, conduct's been changed, and now you're continuing in it. And that's called perseverance. You are now in the grind of caring for your parents. And it doesn't really end until they're gone. But I, I mean, I rejoiced it for what the things we were able to do for my mom. It was worth every effort and every moment in time. I felt like I could never repay my mom for the things she had done for me. You are the aging parent and you're making the best of living with a caregiver or living in a new community. And the Lord has made you determined to live well the rest of your days. For those of us who are aging, we need to commit ourselves to living well and not becoming a grumpy old man. That's actually, I was, that was actually referred to me one time. You know, don't become a grumpy old man. I said, I'll do my best. <laughs> but with you around me, I may become grumpier sooner though. I don't know. That wasn't my wife saying that to me, by the way. <laughs> I actually talked to another man who was my age. And we talked about what does it mean to be a grumpy old man? And we tried to discern what is it that causes men sometimes to be grumpy? And that's a whole different sermon. It'll take about two minutes. <laughs> what about Evergreen SGV? Uh, whatever changes take place, there's still a commitment on the part of the membership. People who come here and call this their church home. It's a commitment to continue in the midst of changes. When pa Pastor Rocky is installed as senior pastor, my hope is that everyone makes a commitment to continue in the Lord and what the Lord has done here and will continue to do here at Evergreen SGV. And there will be changes. And any change that's made isn't a knock on the way it's been done before. It's a change that God wants to make for the sake of the gospel and for what needs to happen from this point forward. I think it's an important thing to understand and grasp. But God's been good to us as a church family. He's been good to us as, peop as a people. And I think one of, the, one of the great strengths of our church has always been, both corporately and individually, is that we're open to the Lord's changes in our lives. And sometimes it comes at a cost. 
What's the change that's going on in your life right now? What is God doing? What concern has God taken? And now you're confronted maybe with a crisis, a mini crisis. And he wants you to make a choice. He wants you to be committed to that choice. He wants you to continue in that choice. He wants you to change your conduct because of that choice. Is it about marriage? Is it about children? Is it about work? Is it about play? Is it about health? I shared in the first service that I've been having knee issues. All right, and um, so like I couldn't attend last night because I was in pretty severe pain. I didn't want to take any medications and I just couldn't move around. And so, um, so I've had prayer done. I, I, the Murakamis have prayed for me, all right? Murakamis have a great prayer ministry at Atherton Baptist Homes. I think I've shared this with you before. They go around and they get prayed. People get healed. And at one point there was a 106 year old lady who wanted to, didn't want to come in contact with the Murakamis because she wanted to go home to be with the Lord. <laughs> so she had an ailment or got sick. She didn't want to see the Murakamis because she was afraid the Murakamis would pray for her and she'd get healed and she couldn't go home to be with the Lord. Now that's when you know there's power in prayer. <laughs> All right. When I heard that story, I, I, just, I was just so tickled by it. That's the lady I tried to avoid because I didn't want to accidentally bump into her or something. There's like, there's like the dozen... Uh, they, what they call centenarians. There are a dozen people or so at Atherton that are 100 years old. And part of the reason why they say they live so long at Atherton is because of the way they're cared for and the community that they have around them. But a change in health status is huge for the elderly. It's a change. And so instead of trying to gut through it, got to make adjustments. You know, we have to make good change of choices in the changes that happen in our health. Some have been diagnosed with something far worse than a knee problem. Maybe you've been diagnosed with cancer. Or there's a node that's swollen. They're not sure what it is. That's a crisis, a health crisis. Well, God has a plan for your life in that. He's going to give you a course of action that you're going to commit to. And you're going to persevere in that course of action. And then God's will will be done in the long run. And you can have incredible trust and belief in that. Your marriage, God wants you to be successful in your marriage. He wants you to stroll down memory lane when you're 85 years old, hand in hand. He wants your children to love him and to serve him all the days of our life, which is far more important than the education they get. God wants all those things, and those things sometimes happen in the midst of change. So don't be fearful of change, ever. And as they happen in the midst of crisis, embrace it. God has a purpose for you. The greatest change he wants in your life, if you haven't done this already, is a change from, from a life of sinfulness to a life of forgiveness. He wants you to change from the way you were walking to walking with Jesus. And that happens when you make a decision for Christ. And I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. I'm going to ask you if you'd like to pray with me. You say the prayer, you repeat it, and God hears it as being said by you. And you begin a change, an incredible change in your life. Where the Bible says the old's going to pass away and the new is coming. And you're going to begin the journey this morning by confessing your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. For those of you who have never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, repeat this prayer after me, making it your own. This is the prayer. Dear Jesus. I believe you're God's son, that you died on the cross, that you rose from the grave. I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I ask you into my life 
as my Savior and Lord. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Now, if you close off that prayer with an amen, and with all heads bowed and eyes closed, with the exception of our pastors, if you prayed that prayer with me this morning, praise the Lord. Just praise God from whom all blessing flows. And would you please raise your hand right now? Raise it high so we can see it and support you in your confession of faith and your walk in Christ. Please raise your hand now and raise it high so one of our pastors can see it. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you continue to bless our church family and that we be a blessing to you. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.